I'm Ray Rogers. And I'm Brad Kepler. And you're listening to Fix This, a podcast exploring tech ideas and solutions to some of today's largest challenges. So we always talk about the cloud, but today we're kicking off with a conversation about clouds, as in the actual white fluffy things in the sky. Clouds play a critical role in the Earth's climate. They help regulate temperature, both warming and cooling the planet, and clouds help connect land on Earth to the skies. If we want to understand our changing climate, we have to better investigate the role that clouds play. Climate models require a massive amount of Earth observation data, and complex analysis also requires large bursts of compute power. Using Amazon Deep Learning AMIs running on Amazon EC2, researchers at the University of Oxford are at the forefront of climate research. Dr. Philip Steer is a recipient of the Amazon Research Awards, a program dedicated to providing eligible researchers and university programs with cash awards and AWS promotional credit so that they can do more, more quickly, using the most advanced compute, analytics, and machine learning tools available in the cloud. To learn more, Ray chatted with Dr. Steer, professor and head of atmospheric, oceanic, and planetary physics in the Department of Physics at the University of Oxford and Dr. Duncan Watson-Paris, a postdoctoral research assistant with the Climate Processes Group at the University of Oxford. My name is Philip Stim, a professor of atmospheric physics in Oxford Department of Physics, and we study cloud and the role in climate broadly. And I'm Duncan, I'm a postdoctoral researcher in Philip's group in Oxford. Why study clouds? What can they tell us about the climate and why are they important to research? Clouds are a crucial component of the climate system. They reflect a large proportion of the incoming sunlight back to space, and they regulate our temperature of the planet. They cool us by reflecting sunlight, and they they warm us at night by trapping heat. And the scary thing is we're changing them. By changing the climate, we're changing clouds. And, and one of the big unknowns in climate research at the moment is how that change in the clouds is going to feed back on us and how they're, they're changing into the future. The question is, obviously, how do clouds respond to a changing world, to a world under global warming and under increased pollution and to see how that feeds back onto climate because the effects can be substantial. And when you look at it in, in, in terms of uncertainties of climate predictions, this is sort of the number one uncertainty in why climate models differ. So it's these kind of questions that keep us and, and quite a big community really busy. And so what kind of data are you using? Can you tell us how big these data sets are? Where are they coming from? And what are they telling us about the clouds? There's a vast amount of Earth observations from satellites, and these are the only sort of truly global data sets on clouds because satellites uh, fly around the Earth and, and look at the Earth from all angles, so we get fantastic coverage. They don't observe clouds directly. They observe the radiation that comes back from these clouds. And to infer then the cloud properties, you have to do a complicated algorithm, which is called retrievals, and there's a lot of uncertainty. So that, that's the challenge for us. But on the other end, it, it's the best data set we have, and it has a huge amount of uh, data, more data than we often can digest. Yeah, there are a number of other kind of more, more direct measurements we can take. There are specific research aircraft that organizations fly both in America and the UK and around the world, which go on specific campaigns to sometimes exotic locations around the world and sometimes less exotic. But but measuring these these important quantities about the clouds and these quantities which which the satellites can't directly measure. And so they give us they give us a ground truth. They kind of base some of these assumptions we have to make when using satellites. 
and can be very valuable as well in understanding our modeling results and validating those. What is the data telling us? It is fantastic data we have now of clouds in the present day. Obviously, we would want to know for, for climate research, how would these clouds look like if there wasn't human activity already? And that's quite tricky. Obviously, we can't go back in time. So we have to use these measurements we have now to understand key cloud processes and cloud physics, and we can do that. But we also have to come up with really clever ways to infer what might have been the anthropogenic or the man-made influence on these clouds that we can observe now. So often in combination with models, but in, in particular, recently, we, we use sort of big data and machine learning techniques to get to this. We really have a huge amount of information and, and trying to glean knowledge from that information is really where, where machine learning comes in. And so there are two specific examples. One is in the tracks that ship leave in clouds. And what happens is as shipping passes across the ocean, the emissions from the ships interact with the clouds in changing the droplets and changing the, the number of droplets in the clouds. And that from space makes the clouds look brighter, but in quite a constrained way so that you get just about where the ship was. So you get a track in the clouds that visibly looks brighter. And this is great because this gives us, in an otherwise fairly clean environment, a clear signal of this, this aerosol effect on the clouds. And so people have, have investigated this in the past and spent years of their PhD painstakingly logging these, these tracks to try and understand this effect in the bigger scale. But there's only so much you can do by hand. If we want to understand how these effects occur under different conditions in different parts of the ocean, and crucially how they're changing over time with respect to the meteorology and with respect to the changing fuel that ships use, that's where machine learning comes in. And so the ability to detect these ship tracks automatically in the satellite imagery that we have gives us this opportunity to look at these trends and look at these changes in a much more robust and informative way. The second example are a particular cloud phenomena called pockets of open cells. So these are cases where clouds open into one particular type of convection. They form these quite, quite pretty patterns, actually. And one hypothesis is that aerosol effects, particularly from man-made pollutions, change this structure. And so we trained a machine learning algorithm to go and look for this particular structure of clouds. And again, look at changes in those structures over time and to understand what this, this relationship is to human activity. What is your ultimate goal with your research and with your findings? Are you hoping that they will turn into tangible insights and actionable items at the government level, at the individual level? What's the result? There's obviously a long-term goal to, if you consider clouds being so important for climate, and depending on the response to climate change, they have either the option to accelerate global warming or to dampen global warming. And this makes a huge difference. And uh, this difference is reflected in the uncertainty of climate model predictions. So if we were able to, to narrow these uncertainties, we would uh, make much better predictions of future climate and global temperatures. But you can also translate this directly into uh, requirements for how much, uh, how fast emission controls have to happen. Ultimately, we know we have to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but it's the, the timescale on which you have to realize that it become carbon neutral depends crucially on how sensitive climate is to these changes. And there, clouds play this crucial role. Switching gears just a little bit to talk about cloud computing, 
how is it helping you to really scale your research and to explore new avenues of research? These are petabytes of data we're talking about. And so having the compute available right next to the data is, is a real game changer. One kind of concrete way, apart from that, that we've been able to use the cloud is in supporting a recent summer school that we held for 20 PhD students across Europe who are starting to study exactly these kind of questions using machine learning. We provided them an environment where they could learn some of the tools and techniques which they'll be using to interrogate this data on, on the platforms they'll be doing. So using virtual machines in the AWS cloud to run machine learning models against geostationary data and other satellite data. If you wanted the audience to take away one thing, what would it be? Machine learning in general gives us the capability of extracting knowledge from this immense amount of data that, that we now um, have available. And science has changed over the years. And I think there is still obviously a place for fundamental science and analytical and computational methods. But this ability to really mine information from, from all of the Earth-observing data that we have available, I think, is fantastic. And that is much easier with, with cloud computing, where, where the data and the compute are right next to each other. Well, we now have the ability to, to understand unprecedented amounts of Earth observation data with machine learning and other techniques. I think we now have the challenge to exactly bring that back to the fundamental physics and to, to make things well constrained. And, and that is a fascinating area of research. I think it, it's just about to take off. But um, it's something that certainly where the cloud will certainly help us doing that. Machine learning and cloud computing are speeding the time to science and helping researchers make sense of the previously unknown about the clouds in our sky and extreme weather. Hurricanes, tornadoes, hail, all of these extreme weather patterns can be better understood by using machine learning and other cloud-based tools to run complex models and analyses. Ray chatted with Dr. David John Gagne, machine learning scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research. NCAR is a federally funded research and development center sponsored by the National Science Foundation. It engages in large-scale Earth system science research projects in collaboration with the broader university community. Here's David John and Ray. Hi, David John. Can you tell me a little bit more about your area of expertise? What interests you in extreme weather and why should other people care about it? As a machine learning scientist at the National Center for Atmospheric Research, or NCAR, I am particularly interested in extreme weather, which can include lightning to hurricanes, tornadoes, blizzards, dust storms, heat waves, droughts, any kind of weather event that's relatively rare, but often also is relatively high impact. By studying extreme weather, we hope to learn more about what makes extreme weather work and what signals there are in the weather data we have that would enable us to predict further in advance and provide the key information they need to make the larger scale decisions that can help save lives and protect property. I'm hoping you can also help us define what these models look like. I work with two kinds of models. The first is our numerical models or physics-based models. These are 3D simulations of the Earth's atmosphere. They simulate how the air evolves over time. These are the, the key ingredient that we start with to drive our machine learning modeling systems. Weather forecasters around the world use these numerical models as their guidance for what possible storms may occur in the next day to two-week period. Where the machine learning can come into play is that it can look at a given numerical weather model forecast 
and then compare it with other observations of extreme weather events or other numerical weather forecasts of the paths. And it can look for patterns. It can see that when the numerical model did this, the actual atmosphere did this. And by learning some of these patterns, we can improve on the original numerical model predictions with the machine learning model as the connector between the original model and where our truth is. So we can take our weather model data and then mix it with satellite data and radar data and come up with a data fusion product that combines everything together to give us our best guess of what the current situation is. With this value added by the machine learning models, we can provide these extra products to the decision makers and and present them in a format that is more geared to the decisions they actually want to make. So if you have a a lot of data about how your company is impacted by weather, you can probably plug that into the machine learning model with the other weather data and come up with a best guess of when you should, say, reroute your trucks or your airplanes so that you can save lives or operate as best as possible. So are you using and training your machine learning models with Earth observation data? So we use a mix of satellite data. For my own research, one product I use fairly extensively is the GOES-16 data. So GOES-16 is a geostationary satellite. That means it sits up above the equator, where it's essentially fixed over the same point on the surface constantly. This gives it a full hemispheric view of of the clouds, so it can see visible and infrared light. Uh, It also has a lightning detector on it that can detect flashes going off anywhere in the hemisphere. By combining these data sets, we can infer what the lightning may be like in the next hour or so. How has the cloud changed how you're able to conduct your research? Was this possible 20 years ago at this scale? We certainly do not have access to the wealth of data we do now. The cloud has made it a lot easier to access really large data sets. At NCAR, we also have our own high-performance computing, but the cloud has been a great supplement to it by allowing us to scale out our compute as needed. So if we want to train a bunch of different machine learning models, we could set up virtual machines in the cloud to do that. And I found the cloud to be an essential resource in getting people hands-on experience with machine learning so that they don't have to try to set it up on their own They often don't have access to things like GPUs, which are crucial for doing any kind of deep learning. You don't have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy all those GPUs. You can just rent them for a few hours. But I've seen demonstrations of people running both the weather models and the machine learning pipelines associated with those weather models, all in the cloud, all with containers, to make these connections fairly seamless. I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about a recent summer school program that NCAR hosted called Artificial Intelligence for Earth System Science. How did that help you to reach a brand new audience? We hosted a virtual summer school split into two key parts. We had people talk about introductory machine learning, deep learning, applications in weather and climate, and then finally some emerging methods using things like generative modeling and unsupervised modeling of weather and climate data. These lectures were viewed by over 1,500 people per day from 40 countries around the world. Along with the lectures, though, we wanted to give as many people a hands-on opportunity to work on these machine learning codes as possible. So we received a grant from the Earth on AWS program to set up a Jupyter Hub compute system on AWS. What this allowed participants to do is they just went to our, our website, we set up five challenge problems that participants could choose from and spend the week learning how to work through the whole machine learning pipeline. So they got a real hands-on experience and we've kept the material and the data online on the cloud so that anyone can still go and download 
or set up their own cloud virtual machines and run it. All of this research and all of the different ways that you are reaching students around the world, what can actually be done with these models? Are governments using this for disaster preparedness to help predict what a storm may become so that they're able to accurately and effectively communicate if people need to evacuate or bunker down or anything like that? We are working closely with the National Weather Service on multiple projects. We were just starting up a project with the Norman, Oklahoma Weather Forecast Office to look at providing the machine learning tornado guidance. I've also worked with the National Hurricane Center on trying to develop better hurricane intensity guidance for them. And talking to the forecasters, they want information that helps them make better forecasting decisions so they can decide if they want to wait for more information or go ahead and issue that tornado warning. And we're working with experts in risk communication to help us inform the development of new trustworthy AI methods that we can then apply and evaluate in all these use cases. So we're hoping to have a virtuous cycle that will not only develop better AI techniques, but ones that are really useful for for making those decisions that will lead to saving lives and property. From the clouds to extreme weather, there is still a lot of uncertainty in the realm of climate research. But machine learning and cloud-based tools can help scientists move faster to solve some of our largest global climate challenges. Thank you to our guests, Philip, Duncan, and David John. To learn more about AWS for aerospace and satellite solutions, visit aws.amazon.com slash government dash education slash aerospace dash and dash satellite. And thank you for tuning in. If you liked today's episode, please help us spread the word, rate the show, share with your friends and family, and subscribe for more stories. We'll catch you on the next one.